There's nothing wrong with desiring those things. But when you on an applause meter or the, the feeling that you get, sometimes you're not going to feel it. Sometimes worship is just gut-wrenching obedience. You don't believe me? Look at Jesus' life and the pain that he went through. But worshiping with selfish motives is not a new thing. As I said earlier, the Jews did that a lot. They thought they would be saved, but uh, unfortunately, they would be wrong too. Because believers must work hard to enter the narrow gate. What does he mean when he says that? Does that mean that we gain salvation by what we do? Absolutely not. That is not what it means. This is not teaching that works will get you into heaven. But it does mean that living the Christian life takes something. You know what that is? Effort. It takes effort. It takes a will. And it takes discipline. Much like an athlete who continues to grow in their sport, we have to continue to grow in our faith. Paul says that we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. What does that mean? I've used this illustration before, but it's like when I used to, when I was a kid and I would find my dad's shoes laying around the house or in the closet, and I would put my feet in his shoes and think, oh boy, one day I'm going to be able to, to fill these shoes out. I want to be just like my daddy. And that's what we do as believers. When we get saved, he gives us these shoes called salvation that we grow into. We grow as we live and as we obey God. But the truth is, as he says here, everyone will not go to heaven. Everyone will not go to heaven. I'm sorry. That's the answer that Jesus gives. It says that the the gate is narrow and very few will find it. So does that mean that that Jesus' main goal here was to keep people out of heaven? Absolutely not. Again, we have to go back to Scripture. In John 3.17, let me show it to you so you don't take my word for it. Take God's word for it. God sent his Son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus didn't come to send people to hell. Jesus came to save them from hell the harsh reality is only you can only save those who want help and so if you are a believer if you have accepted jesus christ into your life as savior and lord it's because he drew you and you wanted to be a part of his plan as you read verse 24 it kind of reminds me of the account of noah in the flood where uh, they made fun of Noah for building an ark because no one had ever even seen rain at that point. And so as the rain started and the floodwaters started to rise, they were begging for Noah to open the door. But if you look at the account in Genesis chapter 7, you see the key here. The key is, is that Noah did not close the door on the people. Nor did he open the door when the floodwaters receded. Who did? Who did that? God did. God did that. And so the, the, the point here is that we cannot force or manipulate the ways in which God works in our lives. We can't make God answer our prayers the way we want, he, we want him to, nor the way we think he should. If God answered prayers the way I thought he should, my life would really be messed up. 
Some of the greatest prayers that God has answered have been things that I didn't pray for or I didn't expect. It's kind of like all of a sudden this came into my mind, that old Garth Brooks song. You remember that? Thank God for unanswered prayers. But it's true. I mean, God never works the way we think, but he always works for our best. We cannot manipulate him. We can follow him. And we can receive his approval or suffer the consequences of rejecting him and disobeying him. The second tough question is, will I go to heaven if my faith is strong enough? Will I go to heaven if my faith is strong enough? Let's look at verses 25 to 28. When the master of the house has locked the door, it will be too late. You will stand outside knocking and pleading, Lord, open the door for us. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you will say, but we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. And he will reply, I tell you, I don't know you or where you come from. Get away from me, all you who do evil. Having faith is a phrase that is tossed around today like candy. But what does this really mean? What kind of faith is Jesus talking about here? Well, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, it says, God saved you by his grace. What did you do to earn God's grace, folks? Not a thing. You are saved by God's grace. When you believed, and you can't take credit for this, it is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done, so none of us can boast about it. So you see, faith is more than believing. It is receiving God's gift of grace. I think one of the the greatest verses that, that is used a lot when you're trying to tell people about Jesus that explains this correctly is Romans 10, 9 and 10, where it says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe it in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved because one believes with the heart resulting in righteousness and one confesses with the mouth resulting in salvation. You see, we believe that we are saved by grace, but we believe that in order to have that grace, we must have faith in Jesus Christ. So when someone says, do you have faith? I want you to understand it means more than just believing. Let me share this the story with you. There is a an author. He used to be a Christian comedian, and I think he got older, and now he's teaching at a school or something like that. But his name is Ken Davis, and he, he tells about this story in a book he wrote called I Don't Remember Dropping the Skunk, But I Do Remember Trying to Breathe. That has to be a guy that's not right, right? But, yes, he used to be a comedian, but in it he tells about an assignment he was given in college to teach a class as creatively as possible. So he decided to teach on the law of the pendulum. You know what a pendulum is, you know, like a grandfather clock swinging back and forth. And so on the law of the pendulum, it's a law that states a pendulum can never reach to a higher than the point from which it was released. So if you take a pendulum and you pull it to here and you let it go, it's going to go all the way there. And then when it comes back, it's not even quite going to make to where you first started. Okay, so that was the law. And so he, he gave all of his formulas and and he, he talked about how that would would work. And so the, the teacher was very impressed by this, all the work that he had put in it. So he said, you know, well done to Ken, who was a student. 
Well, when Ken finished his presentation, he asked the class. He said, how many of you believe in the law of the pendulum? Well, everybody said, oh, yeah, we believe in that. And the teacher thought the lesson was over at this point. He said, okay, I'm glad that you believe. So, teacher, I need your help with something. If you could, just sit in this chair right here. So he put him in a chair, and he had hung about 250 pounds worth of, of plates from, from the local gym. They were just hanging there from the ceiling. And so he pulled it back, and so the teacher's chair is here, and then he pulled the weights to right here. And he says, do you believe in the law of the pendulum? And the teacher got nervous, but he said, yes. And so he let go of those weights, 250 pounds. So it swung that way. And as it started swinging back, whoo, that teacher was out of the way. I believe, preacher, but I don't want to test it. Well, there was a student there. Of course, you know, students, uh, they're, they're wild and crazy, and they're, they're willing to believe in anything. So the student said, okay, I'll try it. And sure enough, so he took the pendulum, and he took those weights, and he let it go, and then it came, you know, the, the student's face just kind of squinched up. But sure enough, those, that 250 pounds stopped short of his face. The teacher believed, but didn't act on it. But the student did. So what do we learn from that? Belief is an untested faith. Faith is tested beliefs. When you want to know if your faith is strong enough, let me ask you this. Has your faith been tested? If your faith has not been tested, it's very likely you don't have any faith at all. Or even if you do, you wouldn't know it because it's never been tested. But I know there is a majority of people in here that you're being tested every day. Right now, you are probably in one of the biggest tests of your life. But it is that faith and that belief in God that is going to see you through it. Because we need to be willing to stake our lives on the promises found in God's Word. I found in my life, when I was going through a lot a couple of years ago, is that I found out that the, the less I read scriptures, the more twisted my theology and view of Him it became. I thought there for a while that God was out to get me. I thought for a while that God was just enjoying watching me squirm. Until I realized that was not God at all. That was me running with thoughts that I shouldn't have run with. God is unchanging. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God loves you. God loves your situation. And God wants to work in your life. And he has shown you and I in his scriptures how to act if we simply read and apply. Because you see, those that were addressing Jesus... It says they spent time with him and that they ate with him. Many were religious. I believe a a modern translation of that would be, but Jesus, we went to church with you. We sat in the pew beside you. We sat in covered dishes together. We did things for you. We did concerts. We did revivals. We did all those things. We believe in you, Jesus. Yes, they believed in him, but they never placed their trust in him. The hardest person to reach is not that atheist. It is that person that is religious sitting in a pew every Sunday thinking they're saved when they're not. Because you see, our physical proximity to Jesus, where we are with Jesus, our physical proximity to Jesus is not as important as the priority we give him in our lives. 
may ask you, do your, do your habits, do your schedules, do your purchases, do your relationships match your faith? Does what you say you believe match the way you spend your money, who you spend your money with and who you spend your money on and how you spend your time? Does it match? Does your faith match that? It may not match it, but I guarantee you this, it reflects it. It reflects it. It may not match your faith, but it reflects it. If you want to know where God is in your life, look at your checkbook, look at your calendar, and look at those you spend time with. That will show you what your faith is. And for some of you, that's rock solid. And for others, it may be a wake-up call to say, you know what, I need to dig a little deeper in 2019. The last tough question we have is, do I have a responsibility to the less fortunate? Well, he answers that. Verse 28, he says, There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for you will see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you will be thrown out. And people will come from all over the world, from the east and the west and the north and the south, to take places in the kingdom of God. And note this, some who seem least important now will be greatest then, and some who are the greatest now will be least important then. I think it's amazing as you read this passage that you see that these without Christ will be able to see a glimpse of God's kingdom, but they will not be allowed in. That would be awful. That would be like traveling two weeks to Wally World and you get there and it's closed. Those movies were on all weekend, so that's why it's fresh. But yeah, I mean, that would be like really wanting to get something or to go somewhere and then you realize that it's it's not available. I can't believe I can't I can't understand that. I mean it's why would anybody want to miss heaven? But it also says it's pretty clear it says those who don't know Jesus, who are not going to be in the kingdom, they will be thrown out like garbage. Thrown out. Well that's kind of harsh and that's not nice. But if God has given his son, Jesus Christ, and we take that for granted and we spit upon it and we disregard it, do you blame him? It says they would be thrown out. It also says that, that all people in God's kingdom, not just one color and not just Southern Baptist. <laughs> Believe it or not, look, I, I'm very proud to be a Southern Baptist. I'm very proud of what we believe and our doctrines and how we base it upon God's word. But there will be some other denominations that are there. There will be multiple skin colors. There will be multiple languages. There will be people, groups that we have never even seen before. And I think that's going to be awesome. The Life Application Bible says that some perfectly receptacle, excuse me, some perfectly respectable religious leaders claiming allegiance to Jesus will not be there because they were not true followers and secretly were morally corrupt. Just listening to Jesus' words or admiring his miracles is not enough. We must turn from sin and trust God to save us. I think I'll conclude with this, that, that we need to take the words of Jesus seriously. It says that that those who know him will have a place in his kingdom. Isn't it great to know that heaven has reserved seating? I, 
um, I, I don't know if I said a whole lot about this, but Don and I were blessed by the church to allow us to go to the Carolina Panthers game, and it was awesome, man. I mean, it was it was great to be there. Awesome seats, great view, freezing cold. And, hey, at least I got to see Drew Brees because they didn't show up. But that's all right. It was the experience. And I didn't have to worry about getting there too early to find my seat because I had a ticket that had my seat number on it. Folks, if you believe in Jesus Christ, your seat in heaven is secure. So that doesn't mean that we sit back on our laurels. It means that we try to get as many people that we love, that we come into contact with, to find their seat as well. We need to honestly ask ourselves as we start the new year, will the impact of knowing that not everyone will go to heaven affect my desire in sharing the gospel or my story with others? Will knowing that the gift of faith that Jesus has given me, will it lead me to work on growing in my faith and growing stronger? And can I see the plight of the less fortunate and not be moved to do anything? Those are some Some questions that we can use for 2019 as Jesus is challenging us through the narrow door concept that he teaches here. It's just a great wake-up call for us to grow in our faith and not be the ones that are discounted or thrown out, but be the ones that are solid. We're going to now do the Lord's Supper. And uh, at the end of that, we will close, and that will be the invitation. If something that was said today or something that that you have questions about, uh, if you want help or prayer into the new year, let me know. Uh, We're we're in this together, and I'm not perfect. I'll have good days and bad days. But if you want to respond to Christ, if you want to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that when you walk out of this place today that you have your seat reserved in heaven, please see me before we leave. But now we are going to remember the Lord's Supper, and what he did for us on the cross.